You can turn your Bibles with me this morning to the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Mark as we continue in our study of Mark's Gospel. And we are in chapter seven this morning, taking 23 verses. It's a long section again for us, but it's one story, and we're going to be looking at the whole today. Mark chapter seven. Verses 1 through 23. As always, let's give careful hearing to the reading of God's holy word. The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him, that is, around Jesus, when they had come from Jerusalem and had seen that some of his disciples were eating their bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? And he said of them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God. You hold to the tradition of men." He was also saying to them, You are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever I have that I would help you is Corban, that is to say given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you've handed down, and you do many things such as that. Well, he had called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, Listen to me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside the man which can defile him, if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. When he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him, but it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach, and is eliminated? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, That which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. Again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together in your word, and we pray your blessing upon our consideration of it, our deliberation over it. 
And we pray we would not do so in the arm of the flesh, but we would do so by the help and the power, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the one who's been given to our to be our teacher, to reveal all things to us. We pray for his help now as we ponder and consider this text, that you would, as always, be our guide, our teacher, that you would lead us to the truth, because, again, we know the truth points us to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and we ask it in his name. Amen. One of uh, Francis Schaeffer's classic books was entitled... uh, True Spirituality. I'm sure that many of you have read that book. Many of you probably have it on your bookshelf at home. The title of that book is actually the title of my sermon this morning, which raises a very interesting question. And that is, just what is true spirituality? What is it that makes you a truly spiritual person? Is being spiritual, the same as being religious. Is being spiritual adhering to a list of do's and don'ts, following a set regimen of obedience? Is being spiritual kind of letting your mind go free and kind of explore the universe and all that is around you, philosophies of men? Is being spiritual getting in touch with yourself and your core being and really identifying yourself as an individual? What does it mean to be spiritual? That's that's the issue that we find in Mark chapter 7. This is a controversial chapter. Not that there is controversy about what it means, But Jesus himself was involved in a controversial situation in these verses. Uh, That discussion, that controversial discussion, was with the Pharisees and the scribes. And the subject they brought to him was this very issue. What does it mean to be spiritual? What is true spirituality? Well, in this text... A group of Pharisees and some of the scribes have traveled the 90 miles from Jerusalem to Galilee. And they've come for one purpose, and that was to confront Jesus. Now remember, this portion of the Gospel of Mark is describing what we know as Jesus' great Galilean ministry. A period of about 18 months when Jesus spent his time ministering in and around the Sea of Galilee and the villages, the towns surrounding it. And there's a good bit of tension. You can tell as you read this text, there's a good bit of tension here. The Jewish religious leaders are nervous because Jesus has been attracting a lot of attention. And that attention Jesus was attracting was making them very uncomfortable. Now, I skipped, you may have noticed, you've been keeping track, verses 53 through 56 of Mark. We didn't preach through that, but I want you to look at it with me as we move from chapter 6 to 7. It says, when they had crossed over, that's Jesus and the disciples, crossed over again the Sea of Galilee. They're going back and forth in this part of his ministry to the land of Gennesaret. 
and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat immediately, the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place where they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak and as many as touched it were cured. This was an amazing time. That the power of Jesus was manifest, it was evident. People all over Galilee were being healed. They were bringing their sick to him, bringing their loved ones to him. And if they just touched the fringe of his coat, they were healed. Well, news of what was going on in Galilee with Jesus made his way to Jerusalem uh, to the Jewish religious leaders. Again, as a result, they became quite nervous because Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God, the Messiah. And so they sent this delegation of religious leaders to confront Jesus. And we find in verse 1, the text says, In my version, they gathered around him. They gathered around him. The the picture in my mind is these Pharisees and scribes, we don't know how many there were, but these scribes and Pharisees kind of encircling Jesus, confronting him, kind of getting in his face, we would say today, pressing around him, hemming him in, trying to intimidate him. These these Jewish religious leaders, of course, considered Jesus and his followers to be subversive. They weren't following the Jewish ways, and so they came to put a little bit of ecclesiastical pressure on Jesus. Now, the issue that they brought to Jesus was that his disciples were eating with impure hands. Verse 2 says this. They had seen that some of his disciples were eating bread with impure hands, that is, unwashed. Now, that does not mean that they did not wash their hands before their meals. The accusation here is not that they were uncouth. It is that they were unspiritual. The washing referred to here in this verse was one of the traditions that had developed among the Jews. And the problem was that the Pharisees had elevated their traditions to the same level as the law of God. And so not keeping one of their traditions, that is one of their man-made additions to the law, was the same as being a lawbreaker one who's disobedient to God, out of fellowship with God. Because you see what the, what the Pharisees did was they took the law of God. And Mason's teaching through the Ten Commandments now in Sunday school. It's a little advertisement to be involved in that. But they took the law of God and they broke it down. And they broke it down into thousands of little rules for the people to obey. Now, Their goal, really, was to make the people's lives easier. 
Isn't it easier to go to a checklist and say, yes, I can do this or no, I can't do that. Their goal was to have this list of traditional rules and regulations, these stipulations they drew apparently from the law of God so the Jews could go and say, yes, I can do this. This is how far I can walk on the Sabbath day. This is what I can do on the Sabbath day. This is what I must do uh, before my meal, during my meal, after my meal. All these regulations that the Jewish people were required to follow. And so, uh, they referred to as the tradition of the elders. Look with me at verse uh, 5. The question they asked was, Why do your disciples not walk according to the, the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Now, there's also a parenthetical section back in verses 3 and 4. Some of you may not have that in your text. In my text, it's in brackets. Uh, that means that the, some of the oldest uh, Greek manuscripts do not include those two verses. But notice this parenthetical section. It says, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands. Again, it's not for, for cleanliness. Thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. Now again, I want to stress this has nothing to do with hygiene. It was purely ceremonial. Before the meal, often during the meal, between the courses of the meal, they would pause and they would wash their hands and wash them in a certain way. To fail to do that was to make yourself unclean in the eyes of God. It was very, very important to these uh, particular Jewish people. The story is told of a rabbi who had been imprisoned uh, by the Romans, and each day he was given a small amount of water, and there was water for the day to drink. But instead of drinking the water, he would use the water to carry out these ritual, traditional hand washings, and he almost starved of, or died of thirst. That, you see, had become a test of spirituality for the Jews. And their, their religion, their, their spirituality was not a relationship with God. Their spirituality was a rigid observance of all these mundane rules and regulations they had set, they were outside the law of God. Now, Jesus, of course, was teaching something far different from that. That's what made them so nervous. And so they came here and they challenged him again in verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? That is, why do your disciples not follow the path of true spirituality? Well, Jesus used that as an opportunity to deal with that very issue. It's what Mark 7 is about. It's about this whole issue of what is it that makes us a spiritual person? Now, if anyone should know about spirituality, it would be the Son of God, I would think. 
And these men had given Jesus a window of opportunity, and he took it. He deals first in the text with uh, the Pharisees in a confrontational style, and then with the people and the disciples in a teaching style. And I know that my introduction has gone extremely long this morning. The body will not be as long as usual. Two things. First, he's dealing with the, with the scribes and Pharisees. The other, dealing with the people and the disciples. So he confronts first these Jewish leaders. And he does that first by quoting from the Old Testament, from Isaiah chapter 29. And he uses that verse to tell them they had two main problems. One of the problems was they were hypocrites. Verse 6. He said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And Jesus said to them, basically, this verse from Isaiah is speaking about you. You honor God with your lips. Your words are right, but your heart is far from him. Your heart is wrong. You see, their spirituality was all superficial. It was all external. It was just words, had no meaning. Words that did not come from the heart. That's that's one of the biggest dangers, isn't it? Of any kind of quote-unquote religion. It's something we all have to guard against, folks. We all do so easy for, for our religion to replace our spirituality, to think that our religious activity is a measure of our spiritual walk with God. It's so easy to, to reduce my attendance at Sunday school or my attendance at worship or, man, I'm really spiritual. I come on Sunday night and Wednesday night to think that qualifies as making us spiritual when that, that's something external unless it comes from the heart. And that's what Jesus is telling these scribes and Pharisees. You're hypocrites. Because your heart does not reflect what you truly are saying with your lips. You see, true spirituality is, folks, a matter of the heart. It's not a matter of the mind, or the intellect, the emotions or the will. And there are people who reduce spirituality to each one of those things. Don't they, aren't they? Some think it's of the mind. Some think it's of the will. The more we know, some things it's emotion. How excited we can get. It's a matter of the heart. And the problem again was the, these scribes and Pharisees, which they honored God with their lips, but their heart was far from him. True spirituality is a matter of the heart. In Romans 10, Paul says, it's with the heart that we believe. It's with the mouth that we confess. And that order is essential. The heart must be right. in order for our confession to be true and sincere and right. And again, it's not just a confession to something that we believe. It's a confession of something that we experience. 
something we know to be true because of the difference that Christ has made in our hearts. It's not a confession to some set of rules or regulations. It's not a confession to moral reform or a decision to break a particular habit or change a particular lifestyle. No, it's a confession. It's a confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Notice again, Jesus calls these men hypocrites. Hypocrites. Now, these are the Jewish religious leaders. Jesus is saying, you are hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? Well, the background of the Greek word hypocrite was from the, from the theater, from acting, where in different roles, the, the actors would come out with different masks. And they would mask who they really were. It disguised their real self. And that's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite presents himself as something that he isn't. Something different from what he really is. And that's what these men were. They, they said all the right things. The mask, the mask was right. But what was behind the mask was all wrong. They honored God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. The other problem with the scribes and Pharisees was that, that their religion, their spirituality was based on the, on the wrong authority. Look at verse 7. He says, but in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Verse 8, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. And then verses 9 through 12 gives us an illustration of that. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? You have set aside... God's word in order that you might keep and obey your own rules and regulations, your own traditions. You are subverting the law of God, the true teaching of God for man-made replacements. We must never fall into that trap. You know, the old movie or play, you know, holds up tradition, tradition. And, and, you know, sometimes we love our traditions, don't we? It's one of the blessings of a kind of a young church. Don't have any traditions. We should never allow our traditions, our man-made kind of things, subvert or replace true spirituality. Verse 9 says, or verse 8 says, no, I'm sorry, verse 9, you are experts, he says. And of course, they consider themselves experts on the law. Notice what Jesus says, you are experts at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. So, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Where the scribes and Pharisees have come to confront Jesus, to challenge him on what his disciples are doing, and Jesus completely reverses the process. And now he's on the offensive, and he is challenging them about their spirituality. 
Well, second, Jesus deals with his followers and the disciples about this important matter of true spirituality. We, we find in verse 14 that the, the, these scribes and Pharisees have apparently left. And, and Jesus calls the people back to him. It's like the, the scribes and Pharisees have interfered and, and Jesus summons the crowd back to him. And, and there's a real sense of urgency in Jesus' voice. Listen to what he says in verse 14. Listen to me, all of you, and understand. How many of you parents have not said to your children, maybe like this, pointing your finger at them and say, listen to me. Listen to me. This is important. You hear what I'm about to tell you. You understand what I'm about to say to you. And that's where Jesus is here. The, the people have heard this discussion. And he's wanting them to, to be perfectly clear about what true spirituality is. And Jesus says it this way, verse 15, there's nothing outside the man which can defile him if he goes into him, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defile him. And that's where the scribes and Pharisees had gone wrong. Don't eat this. Don't taste that. Don't touch the other thing. Thinking that it was all these external things that determined our spirituality. Jesus said, look, Jesus said, that's all backwards. None of these external things determine your spirituality. What determines your spirituality is what is inside, in the heart. That's where spirituality is. It's not a form, a set, rule, a set of rules or regulations or requirements. It's not dutiful service, as important as service is, as I talked with the ladies last night. It comes from the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And then after the crowd left, it was just Jesus and the disciples again. Verse 17, when he left the crowd and entered the house, apparently that's the house where Jesus was staying, his disciples questioned him about the parable. That is, they were asking him about what he was teaching regarding true spirituality. And Jesus says it even more specifically. He says in verse 18, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. These external things, Jesus says, really don't matter unless the heart is not right. And Jesus says it's out of the heart. It's out of the heart. They precede all the issues of life. Verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. That's why the Bible says, watch over your heart. With all diligence, the Bible makes it clear that the heart is the problem of man. You know, why did, why did the flood come? The Bible says it's because the, the heart of man was intent on evil continually. The Bible says of the unbeliever, his heart, his foolish heart was darkened. It says the, the heart of man is deceitful. It's desperately sick. 
And of course, the Bible says, God does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. But God looks at the heart. My, y'all look good today. Here you are at North Point Presbyterian Church. You're in a PCA church. Here to worship. All I can see is the external. But God sees the real you. God sees your heart. And, and our spirituality is not determined by what we do. Our spirituality is determined by who we are. It's a changed heart. It's a new heart that produces obedience, true obedience, and true spirituality. That's what Jesus is saying. It's out of the heart. Out of the heart. That precede all the issues of man. And so what's important in regard to spirituality is to make sure that our spirituality is not something out there, but our spirituality is something in here. That it's not just a form of religion, but it's true spirituality, a genuine relationship and walk day by day with the living Savior. That's what pleases God. That's what God is looking for. He doesn't really care about what you've accomplished, how significant your life has become. He's concerned about your heart and your relationship with him because one day when you stand before him, that and that alone is going to matter. Nobody will take a resume with them to judgment day. God will look at your heart and he will determine your level of spirituality based on that. And that alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the words of Jesus, our great teacher, who tells us what it is to be truly a spiritual person. May we grasp that. May we apply it and cause us to be people who really have a, a relationship with Jesus, whose hearts have been changed, whose lives, whose lives reflected not from the outside, but from the inside. We ask it all in his name. Amen.